2: From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm your host, Ariana Bravo, and this is the Autosport Podcast. It is summer break in the 2021 Formula One season. We have completed 11 rounds of the proposed 23 race calendar, and what a season it has been so far. We have a thrilling title fight on our hands between two titans of the sport in Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, while the battle throughout the field is one of the closest we've seen in recent times. There has been no shortage of drama and excitement, and the end of the first half of the season of course finished with a bang when Esteban Ocon claimed his first ever Formula 1 victory at the Hungarian Grand Prix. Now that we are at the halfway point, we thought it would be a good time to take a step back and reflect on all of the action and performances so far, and joining me to do so is Alex Kalanorkas, Autosports Grand Prix editor, and Stuart Codling, executive editor of GP Racing. Both of you, how are you doing? Summer break is finally here, very much needed I'm sure for each of you. Alex, how are you feeling as we head into the summer break?
1: Yeah very pleased it's arrived to be honest Arianna. it was uh, it's been quite an intense first half of the year but that's actually wrong isn't it because we're not even halfway through halfway through is about about halfway through uh, FP2 FP3 at the Spa weekend pedantry of the schedule oh you're a fan of pedantry God, as we know this um this is this is of the 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 aimed for 23 races whether we get that or not in formula 1 remains to be seen it largely depends on which countries remain on the UK's uh, travel uh, travel list uh, sorry um, red list countries on the uk you know travel restrictions which obviously being updated at uh, the today as we speak so it's all, all potentially changing you know mexico could be in a bit of trouble so we'll see what happens with that but yeah yeah pleased to be having a bit of a break and yeah charging up the batteries ahead of uh, uh, a lengthy title run in this year
0: because of the late start to the season, um, GP racing season preview issue had to be held back a couple of weeks. So at uh, the beginning of the season, we had a very, very long issue that we laboured over for five weeks or whatever. Um, but uh, the, the cost of that was having shorter issues later in the season, and that's the pain we're going through right now. So we are currently working on a three-week issue. Uh, that, so it's, it's all been quite fraught today let me tell you doing loads of stuff so um if if you've you sort of see it's a good thing the listeners won't see this because obviously it's a podcast but I, I am aware that these things do get filmed and occasionally stuck up on instagram if you see my brain starting to drip out through my nostrils it's not as a result of a nasopharyngeal swab mishap but it is just simple volume of work and trying to get my head round. on top of that what has been a really really eventful season it's it's been very exciting not that many races have been duds have
1: they I just very quickly refused. I uh, refused to accept the suggestion that someone who works on a monthly magazine uh, can ever be overworked, considering the, the, <laughs> the press days we have at Autosport But there we go. We know. Uh, we know this is a you know a friendly you know ribbing uh, contest between not contest, just you know relationship between the weekly and the monthly here at the uh, Motorsport Network. But anyway, I'll shut up. I'll shut up now.
0: Yeah, or, or even the daily or minutely or hourly, as you are when you're doing your you've got your web hat on.
2: Well, as you said, Coders, this has been a season that has been pretty action-packed. We've been treated. to to so many exciting races. Before we dig into the races though, I want to kick off with some driver ratings, thoughts and feelings towards the drivers. We know that this is always a hot topic. Alex, your ratings can cause quite the stir. So I want to know who your top rated drivers are of the season so far. So not on a race by race basis, I want you to take a step back and who would you guys put at top of the pack and I want why I want detailed explanation here guys
1: well I'll go first Diana as you as you mentioned the driver ratings we do I do every race for autosport magazine and for autosport.com plus and um, helpfully when it came to prepping for this podcast I didn't have to do any prep when it comes to the driver ratings because the cold numbers reveal the order and there's 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 a standout number one there's a bit of controversy about where a certain seven-time world champion is in the order. Uh, although the, I, can, I, can, I, can also, I can sort of alleviate things for Lewis Hamilton fans. But if, if you were to look at the magazine this week, he's down at number, I think it's number six. It sort of it looks like in the order, but he's actually level with Charles Leclerc. But I'll get to him in a minute. But anyway, number oh, one.
0: Journalistic bias. Well,
1: well. Well, anyway, left number one comfortably, <laughs> Max Verstappen, former championship leader, long time championship leader, obviously until his uh, disasters at Silverstone and Budapest. No fault of his own in the second one; quite a lot of his fault in the uh, in the former one. But but overall, it was Lewis Hamilton's fault that collision. But yeah, he leads the way ahead of Lando Norris. Uh, so we've got sort of like uh, we've got an average number. We've got or we've got sort of a total either way. Max is is comfortably clear of uh, of Norris. Then we've got Pierre Gasly performing excellently in third place. So he's on average, uh, yeah, P3. Uh, I know I understand why I've been confused about where Lewis Hamilton was in the order. It's because the Excel spreadsheet has Verstappen uh, listed in the number two uh, column. Of course he does, no, not on the row. It's uh, anyway, just me misreading a, misreading a spreadsheet. Probably not. Have not for the first that, there time. We go. Exactly, there we go. Uh, and then we've got Lewis Hamilton at number four, but he is level with uh, both Charles Leclerc and George Russell. But if you had to like, if, yeah, in terms of the average rating, all three of them are absolutely level. But if you had to like, if I was, you know, gun to my head being forced to pick which one of them would be ahead, it would be Hamilton because he's involved in a title fight and for the first time he's not got the fastest car and he's doing he's doing pretty well. He's made um, he's made a few mistakes, which is the reason why he's so far adrift of Max Verstappen because even though Max has made, himself has made mistakes, his have been really quite small, whereas Lewis's have been really quite massive. If you think of Imola... He'd cost himself a minute, a lap in that gravel trap. And he he's very, very lucky, very, very lucky to get back to second place in that race. You think of then, um, you know, the Monaco weekend, well off the pace of Valtteri Bottas. That hurt his score because, you know, it, it, it just, it's how you compare to your teammate gets, uh, gets factored in. And, and yeah, and then obviously Baku, tiny error. For this time, for Hamilton, in terms of pressing that button, but what big consequences it had, and also I was a little bit unimpressed by how he sort of gave up racing the hash drivers at the end. But you know that that didn't really affect his score too much. But yeah, that's that's the those are the top guys. Do you want to hear who's at the bottom? Oh please, yeah. It is. I mean, I I, I don't I doubt I, I doubt no one will be shocked, but it is Nikita Mazepin who's at the bottom. But I can actually say that I rate him significantly higher than the Autosport readers. He's got an average of four point one eight, whereas the readers have got him at three point four zero. So uh, yeah, I've, I've given him a, given him a bit more. Uh,
0: is is it because they juice? don't like him because of his wandering hands and generally bad attitude to life in general?
2: Perhaps. I, mean, I,
1: can, I can't possibly speak for the readers, coders, but uh, but perhaps indeed.
0: But yeah, he's not very good, is he? <laughs>
2: Where do you land on your top drivers? Obviously, Alex has all the numbers there. He's doing that very statistically. But I'm sure you're going to give us a nice off-the-cuff view on who your top-rated drivers are. Are you backing Max Verstappen as a clear number one? Lewis down in fourth there, tied with a couple of other drivers, which is an interesting take. Take it away, Codders.
0: Uh, I I was initially supportive of Alex's view but I'm not sure about placing Lewis so lowly if, if I may say that I definitely Max has been brilliant but he's he's also um had the the very much the better car for a lot of the season and and to my mind I I, I don't what what we shouldn't take away from Lewis is that he's outperformed the car for quite a lot of of the season, and he was also able to basically poach points from Verstappen right from the off in Bahrain um, in, in an inferior car. So for me, I I wouldn't place him uh, so low in comparison with Max. I, I think Max left quite a few points on the table early in the season. You you look at Bahrain where obviously he he had the opportunity to overtake Lewis um, when Lewis had his had his little wobble. And it was quite a harem, scarum moment. And, and at that point um, in in the race, he had time and tyre life on his side and he he executed this sort of do or die manoeuvre. This is my only opportunity to do it uh, sort of thing. And he he could easily have just waited a little bit. And, and to my mind, that was characteristic of Max's opening few races. It was almost as if he couldn't believe he had the quickest car and he had to attack all the time. And I think maybe... Max has been a little bit too aggressive at, at times and the incident with Hamilton um, at the beginning of the British Grand Prix, although you know clearly Hamilton predominantly at fault, it's an accident that's been waiting to happen for a long time because Max gives no quarter and he's very, very physical and he relies on the other person backing off and when the other person doesn't back off, shrapnel ensues. So with, with that in mind, I, I would... I would place Lewis a little bit closer to Max. I'd still place Max at number one. I'd place Lewis a little bit closer. But yeah, Lando Norris and um, Pierre Gasly, absolutely brilliant. And flying under the radar, which Alex is about to remind me.
1: Well, as I was going to say, Codders, would you place Lewis Hamilton ahead of Lando Norris? I think, like, because th- there is an element of with when it comes to the averages and the driver ratings, this is just an adding up of how they're rated on individual events. Like, it's all, they're all subjective; they all r- write to the same sort of scoring system, which is. Always in itself fundamentally flawed because of the way you know people can have different interpretations of different things. But in terms of like how we'd rank these drivers at the end of the year in a top 10 or the top 50, which I'm always thinking about in auto sports top 50, Hamilton would definitely be ahead of Gasly because he's in, like I said earlier, in that title fight. But I don't think he at the moment would beat Lando Norris in a top in my top 10 of the F1 drivers. But I, what I'm interested to hear would you have him ahead of Norris in terms of number two behind Verstappen or or, or those two? Verstappen and Lewis clear of the path? I think
0: we're I was about to say we're comparing apples and oranges obviously we're not we're comparing Formula 1 drivers who are very good at their job um, I, I I think it's very tricky to compare Lewis and <clears throat> and Lando unless um, you you add them in the, in the same car all, all we can say about Lando is that he appears to be outperforming his car at times particularly in qualifying and uh, outperforming a highly regarded teammate in the form of Daniel Ricardo so clearly very impressive i I'm not sure impressive enough for me to rate him above the guy who's presently leading the world championship but certainly you know when you consider that people still sometimes mistakenly say, oh, you know, Lando, he doesn't qualify brilliantly, which is absolute rubbish. He qualifies brilliantly. You know, he nearly nearly had that car on pole position. Um, and, you know, brilliant qualifying in Emilia-Romagna as well. Uh, sadly, he lost that to being a half a cent, half, you know, three-tenths of a centimetre over the white line or whatever. But, yeah, at other places, Monaco, brilliant. Um, and he even he couldn't understand where he found that pace in Monaco. And time and again, Daniel Ricciardo um, hasn't been able to replicate the the Lando's pace and has said, you know, I I don't even know how he does it. It, It's a little bit reminds me of um, Nicky Lauda and Alan Prost at McLaren, where Nicky would occasionally just look at the, the the qualifying screens and go, just how does he do that? Um, At the same time, Lando has occasionally kind of, he can be a little bit reticent in the opening lap and, Go a little bit backwards. Obviously, not last time out. It was he had a brilliant start in Hungary and then had some goober driving to the back of him. But no doubt we'll pick this up later. Certainly, Valtteri Bottas doesn't feature very highly in my list
2: where does he feature codders
0: so far back you need a telescope to see him and and alex is going to correct me on something he's holding his hand up
1: i'm no, no, not, not going to correct you on something i just wanted to jump in and say well, i know exactly where valtey bottas ranks in in my average ratings and with the readers ranking because we are we are in agreement that he's in he's in he's in
0: uh place. Uh, uh, 17th
1: 17th mm, yeah 17 yep. he's only above right Reichen- <laughs> for me he's only above Riken and Latifi and Mazabin, as I said, but for the readers he's only above Sonoda, Latifi and Mazabin again. But I, I think that's a bit harsh on Sonoda. But anyway, yeah, he's he's really not having a good year.
0: It it's tricky to grade these people with in 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 a numerical ranking, but it's fair to say that he's not had a great year. And if I were to step into the shoes of the absent Patrick Head I would get on his team radio and not say Valtteri it's James or even Valtteri it's Connors I would say whatever it is that you do do it better
1: if we were to do a ranking at the end of the year he would be bumped up because of the nature in terms of the it's again it's like how can you compare all the drivers without having them in the same car you can't so you have to introduce the different criteria but just in terms of pure numbers that's how far down he's ranked by both me and the readers.
2: That's very interesting because my next question was going to be, who is the driver or drivers that you feel have underperformed the most this year? I wasn't expecting you to say that Botas would be ranked 17th in your ratings. Would you stick by the numbers there, Alex? Would you have put him as your driver that was underperforming the most, regardless of those stats? Or do you think that actually, in hindsight, you would have maybe bumped him up and picked someone else?
1: I probably wouldn't pick him in terms of the driver who's underperforming the most because I think that's definitely Kimi Raikkonen. Like I think he's just not he's not quick. He's got involved in some really really needless incidents. Yeah, okay, Bottas has as well, but I think Bottas is going up against the best driver ever you know in, in, in a lot of ways Lewis Hamilton and, and isn't exactly showing awfully against him in, in specific situations yeah. he's at least he's at least very 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 fast I mean the guy's been on pole position this year whereas Raikkonen consistently underwhelms in qualifying there's that awful shunt in Portugal where he ran into the back of because he was concentrating on changing an engine setting the crash at the end of the of the uh, one, the race in Austria which I, I um, actually off the top of my head I can't remember if it was the Syrian Grand Prix or the Austrian Grand Prix I think it was the Syrian one driving into Sebastian Vettel I had a chat with a, a press room colleague at Silverstone about uh, someone else who does driver ratings and he said he got involved in a in a Twitter exchange with a with a with a reader who was like well what about the other 70 the other uh, 68 laps of his race it was like yeah well w- what about them you can't don't just end the race there because he, he crashed into Sebastian Vettel you've got to take that all into That's account That's top whataboutery, isn't it exactly exactly so you know he's a bit too much you know you're defending someone a bit too far there but yeah i think for me Raikkonen has been the real disappointment of the season and there are gathering rumours, gathering speculation that he, it will be Bottas who replaces him at Alfa Romeo. We understand the team isn't particularly happy with Räikkönen's performance. And it just feels like his, his early on excellent Formula One career, his elongated Formula One career, is sort of just stumbling a little bit towards its conclusion.
0: Yeah, inglorious is how i describe it. It's actually quite difficult. I mean, obviously, you know, when his legion of fans listen to this podcast and have finished leaving one-star reviews uh, for it, uh, I'm sure any number of them could tell me about his outstanding other laps where he didn't hit people and where he managed to keep his car on track. Uh, and, uh, I mean, to to, to my mind, I, I know I was being a little bit sarcastic when, obviously, ariana you weren't, weren't able to host the Saturday podcast in Silverstone because you were like Patrick McGowan trapped in the bubble. Um, uh, I, I sort of said lightheartedly that uh, I knew I'd be crucified for it, that at least, you know, starting the sprint uh, event uh, on soft tyres enabled Kimi to maintain that he, he hadn't been out qualified by Antonio Giovinazzi.
2: So you would also pick Kimi as your driver who has underperformed the most in the season so far? Yeah,
0: when you when you look at other drivers,
2: anyone else up for competition? No, because you look yeah. at
0: Nikita Maziepin and he he hasn't underperformed because he's done exactly what you expected him to be, which was to be not very good. Um, Mick Schumacher difficult to uh, really rate him because the you know he's he's just driving a car that's awful and. You, you, you barely get to see him. Alex has got his finger up again. So either he's uh, w- awaiting another nasopharyngeal swab or, um, you know, I'm going to be corrected
1: again. But I don't think you can talk about drivers underperforming and not mention Daniel Ricciardo. Mm. Like, yes, uh, I don't think anybody's particularly very happy about this. You know, he's he's a very popular figure and he's a very excellent driver. But He's he's not he's nowhere near Lando Norris's level and you know there is a, that that sort of excuse of oh we only had a day and a half of testing and it, new teams and the, and the rules and things like that you know drivers who stayed put have got the advantage because the car carryover rules that that only works for a certain amount of time look at Carlos Sainz Jr. who arguably has been the the star, one of the star performers of the season because of how well he's rating against Charles Leclerc who has again been brilliant that's that sort of excuse is gone for Ricardo and he's just he's just struggling on that little bit when it comes to turning. And breaking, and you know it's not again. Like I say, because he's so good, and we know he's so good, he hasn't exactly forgotten how to drive or be fast. It's kind of painful to watch Ricardo. There's that video of him getting out of his car at Hungary. I think he was particularly upset because he was looking at second place and potentially the win that Ocon got until Lance Stroll assaulted Leclerc and knocked him into in, knocked him into Ricardo. So yeah, I think if, you, if if there was another driver to highlight in terms of underperforming, probably Ricardo as well.
0: He hasn't been able to actually grasp and get hold of the reasons for that and to address it like both both drivers have said or have have acknowledged that the car is maybe a little bit tricky to drive It, it requires a bit of work to extract the performance from it but Lando's been able to make the necessary adaptations to his style to work with the car to extract that performance uh Daniel just hasn't been able to adapt so maybe he's older and less flexible um I I, I don't know but yeah it is a shame and like Alex says that 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 video of him just with his head in his hands after disconsolate after the Hungarian Grand Prix kind of sums up his year so far
2: it does sum up his year so far and as you said Alex I think everyone is feeling a bit gutted about it because it's It's difficult when you know a driver has so much potential, but they're just not able to extract it. But looking ahead to the rest of the season, do you think that we will see any improvements from him? Do you think that this is something that he can go away, have a think about over the summer break, really try to work out where he's going wrong? Or do you think the fact that it's just him not agreeing with the car means it's just something he's probably not going to get on top of and we're going to have to be gutted for the remainder of the season too?
1: Yeah, I mean, always wary of making these, making such predictions. But yeah, probably, probably the latter. Probably it is a case of if it's not calm at the moment, how will three weeks off help that? Do you know what I mean? Like he, he, in terms of he can't, he can't be in the simulator every day at the McLaren factory because they're shut down for two weeks. But what what I will say is that. A point that Ricardo returns to again and again and again, just the more seat time he has, the better he will be. So there, there's definitely the potential for him to do better. Maybe we're thinking that Norris can just do something with this um, McLaren package that Ricardo can't then probably he's got to look ahead to next year. It's going to be very, very different regulations. It's going to require, you know, different ways of getting the speed out of the car. That's probably his best bet. He's got a three-year contract at McLaren. He's got his deserved reputation of being one of Formula One's best drivers. So I think maybe, you know, there'll come a point in the year where it's it's got to be all focused on that. But yeah. Don't expect a stunning turnaround, but equally, there is still the potential for him to get better simply as he drives the car more.
2: And I want to move on to the rookies now of the season, and I want to know how they've stacked up against each other in your driver's ratings, Alex. Of course, we have three rookies, Sonoda, Schumacher and Mazepin. We know that Schumacher and Mazepin especially don't have that much hope in the car that they're driving, okay? So, you know, we have to bear that in mind, they're in a car that is pretty weak in comparison to the other cars they're up against but how have they all stacked up against each other in your drivers ratings yourself and the fans
1: so in terms of um, the three of them Schumacher leads the way ahead of Sonoda when I was just at the bottom of the list so of course he's at the bottom of the list for this one as well but with, with this again it's sort of it, the difficulty with the way our system works in the driver ratings is that you've got to compare how teammates do against each other so like for instance Sergio Sergio Perez is quite far down this list because he regularly hasn't been able to get where Max Verstappen is able to take that car. So we know what the car can do. And if Perez can't do it as well, or isn't just behind that, then he has to, he suffers in the ranking accordingly. It's the same with Valtteri Bottas. That contributes to why he's so far down the order. So the, the Haas drivers, as Codders has said, it's very difficult to rate and rank because we know the car is so terrible. And it's just, it's, you know, it's a case of just judging them on different things. What have they done right in terms of specific qualifying sessions or the race or just even, you know, the gaps over over each other. Like there was, there were times earlier in the season where Mick Schumacher was absolutely a country miles ahead of Nick to Mazepan who was then getting involved in incidents you know holding people up under blue flags things like that um, but the really interesting one for me is Yuki Sonoda because he's actually I'll just tell you the, the reader ratings first in terms of um, I think it's pretty it's the same order it's Schumacher yeah then Sonoda and then obviously Mazepan so yeah it's, um, it's Schumacher is elevated ever so slightly higher in the reader rating got, they have got him at 14th and I've got him at Fifteenth, I think. Anyway, he's a really interesting one because obviously he arrives to such amazing fanfare because of that duel with Lewis Hamilton on the the C five tires right at the end of winter testing. And looked brilliant in 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 you know in qualifying in Q one in Bahrain. And then gets knocked out in Q two, and it all goes wrong. And then there's the crash at Imola, and various gets keeps getting involved in incidents. You know things go wrong to the point where the team instruct him to move where he's living, move countries, and come to Italy so that they can really keep an eye on him and help him develop. Um, so he's a really interesting one because he has. Shown some spectacular things, and he's also shown some very, very average things. But Sonoda at least has got momentum behind him. You know, he just needs he just needs to keep that consistency, keep those clean weekends. Which he 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 sort of Hungary sort of summed it up really. He crashes in FP one, and that has a knock on effect throughout the rest of the weekend. But he still makes it into the points, and he still was running very, very well, very, very strongly, apart from some bizarre solo spin at the end. But again, in terms of these rankings, he also suffers from the fact that Gasly is being excellent again and showing where that car can reach.
0: Yeah, and he has a tendency to blow hot and cold through the season, doesn't he? So you had in, in, in Bahrain, the sort of the ups and downs shunts, but then actually a fairly tidy race, you got to say, a really nice last lap pass on Lance Stroll. And then... The,
1: and he passed Alonso. Yeah,
0: and, and a couple of weeks later, just a total head fart at, at Imola. As a team boss, you, you don't really want to be employing a driver like that who's brilliant one week or or Brilliant in one session, lousy in another, um, occasionally gets a good result, but then at other weekends just makes a complete mess of it. And as Alex says, the, the, the fact that he's been ordered to relocate his chattels nearer to the factory suggests that there's a deeper seated problem. And at the moment, you know, he has... Dr. Marco on his side. Dr. Marco's a fan. But then again, Dr. Marco has long operated the Red Bull uh, Young Driver scheme r- rather in the manner of a small boating lake. And you never know when he's going to say, come in number five, your time's up.
1: And, and Honda go at the end of the mm. year. So how much yes. is that a factor in terms of Sonoda's deal? We don't know, but um, he's helped by the fact that there aren't many drivers knocking on the door in terms of Red Bull Young Driver programme, except they've got Alex Albon recreating random incidents in Grand Prix's or well a specific incident that's nice that they're yeah, keeping him busy not the best use of his but I,
0: I heard Dan Tictum's T- an- available
1: <laughs> already rejected from that run drive scheme
2: that tees us up quite nicely for what I want to move on to next and of course that is the title battle that we have on our hands between Lewis and Max just mentioned the recreation of the incident in Silverson still very bizarre to think about that that was recreated but it happened let's talk a little bit more about this type of battle because it is really, really thrilling, as I said in the intro. It is gripping each race. there is drama, of course, it exploded at Silverstone after that instant. War of words came thick and fast, um primarily from the Red Bull side. What are you guys feeling about this title battle so far? Because we've seen in our swing going into the summer break. The Mercedes team said that they wanted to be leading both championships before they went into the summer break. Not everyone was, you know, completely convinced that they'd be able to achieve that. But lo and behold, they are. But we've still got a long season ahead of us. As you said at the start, Alex, we aren't actually technically halfway through yet. So everything can change once again. Max has been on absolutely incredible form from the get-go what are your thoughts and feelings towards the title fight that we have on our hands codders i'm going to come to you first this time
0: yeah of course you know we we may actually be three quarters of the way through the season depends on how the covid situation and, yeah. and the great game of mornington crescent which is uh our, our government's uh, Decisions on uh, who goes on the amber list and who goes on the red list.
1: I got that reference. Oh,
0: marvellous. For once. It's a win. (laughs) I
1: I had a clue for once. Anyway, sorry. Oh,
0: very good. That's that's a brilliant pun. Fabulous. I don't think we could have expected it to be so delicately poised. Obviously, what happened at Silverstone and, um, and, and in Hungary in terms of the opening lap, shuntation has played into mercedes hands and obviously no i can i can hear tinfoil hats crinkling as i speak when i mention that but you know they were accidents the 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 fact is that the Red Bull is still marginally the quicker car. It's clear that Mercedes, um, in its final update to, to that car that was applied at Silverson, has found something. Obviously, they're, they're going to learn more about the car. They're going to f- be able to I- exploit it and maximise its performance using their trackside team uh, over the f- balance of the year. But that's pretty much it. There's There's no more development coming. So they are stuck with what they've got. It's clear that Lewis... Kind of wanted more. He's he's talked about wanting to find performance in the car, and he's looked quite rattled. He's looked he's looked more rattled than he's been at any time since he was facing off against Nico Rosberg uh, for the what the 2016 World Championship. So that in itself is pretty excited because uh, exciting rather because when, when Lewis is when is when his back's against the wall, all bets are off. He can be brilliant at times. He can go into meltdown. So that breaking of his equilibrium is, is is part of the tapestry of what's making this a great uh, championship battle. Uh, another thing is when when Botas and Perez get their acts together and and they're actually there it prevents kind of one team or the other checkmating them on strategy and it really it puts the onus on on Hamilton and Verstappen to be their brilliant best on track rather than using strategy to overtake one another and you saw we've, we've seen several races this year Spain and France off the top of my head where um, the, the teams have been able to sort of pull a fast one on strategy because either Bottas or Perez aren't where they should have been
2: Alex, what are your thoughts and feelings towards the battle? Of course, we've had some key moments in the season, as Coders has touched on as well, where things have swung or things have affected the championship standings in ways that probably wouldn't have happened had they panned out in a more natural order. We had Baku, we had Silverstone. What What's your view on it?
1: First of all, it's fantastic. It's absolutely engaging. It's gripping. It is. There's no getting away from it. It's a title battle for the ages, assuming it keeps going. Because you could say that 2018 was, was a pretty exciting battle between Vettel and Hamilton until Vettel sort of, you know, let it all go in the gravel in Germany, which he still won't admit to or, or, or be admitting to that as the key moment. But assuming this goes to the end of the year... Which we have no, you know, indication that it won't. Although, as as Goddard points out, you know that that update that came to the Mercedes was going to be the last one. So for them, it's going to be about fine tuning that package at all the rounds to come. Whereas you suspect Red Bull will keep developing. In any tiny area that they can because they are so, so keen to win this title and to break Mercedes run to get that championship with Honda before it leaves. But what I think is particularly nice is that, you know, we, we saw this in winter testing. We, we saw how good the Red Bull was, how bad things went for Mercedes. We could, you couldn't quite conclusively say Red Bull was the fastest car but it was definitely in the hunt it was absolutely in the hunt and yet you still get people and this is something I, I i read i saw something actually ironically i think i saw it on twitter about someone saying out that one of the great sicknesses of our time is like must post itis or something like that people who who see a news story and instantly have to share their opinion even though it's usually something ridiculous and pointless and it ends up being horrible and making someone else feel awful but basically when when we when when, when we were seeing what we were seeing in testing and then going look guy look there is the potential for a proper title fight here people are like no no Mercedes will walk it they'll still walk it they'll still walk it it's fine and this just not come out to be the case And it's been, it's been great to see just how engaged people are in a really close really wonderful title fight and that's been that's been really really good um, Arianna you're right to mention Baku in terms of what happened to, to Max Verstappen there we're right to also highlight Silverstone and Budapest there isn't there's a school of thought the reason why I still maintain Max should be ahead of Lewis in any ranking is because he's had 60 points taken away from him in two of those instances, for absolutely no fault of his own at least 60 points maybe even more you have to take a few off lewis's score as well so he would be if it weren't for the baku blowout uh, uh, taking that in isolation leading the championship by 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 at least a chunk so it's great just to just to think about how intense it is obviously it's boiling over into toxicity at times and you just need red bull need to calm down a little bit on their some of their statements about you know Driving, uh, banning Lewis for a little bit of, um, you know, the, the, the incident at Cops and things like that. But then there's, you know, obviously other fan camps. You know, everyone's partisan, and as I said, people got to share these opinions because they think that they're, you know, it's just sometimes just just chill out a little bit. But just don't lose that wonderful excitement about what's a brilliant championship battle.
2: And it's not just the battle between Lewis and Max. Of course, it is also a battle between Mercedes and Red Bull, and that is where their teammates come into it. How we've already spoken about Bottas, of course, so we know our thoughts and feelings on Bottas but what are your views on Perez and the role that he's playing of course he's new to the seat he's had some really strong performances but then he's also in other occasions just not been where he needs to be what do you think Red Bull are feeling towards his performance and how do you think they're assessing it because as we know Red Bull can be very cutthroat and they've been searching to find that right person for that second seat do you think that they'll be satisfied or happy with Checo's performance in the season so far
1: yeah I think I think satisfied I think there have been occasions where he's he's gone missing think of the British Grand Prix where he randomly spun out in the sprint race and that sort of wrecked his weekend and that really demonstrated the single minded focus Red Bull have correctly in my view in backing Max Verstappen because you know he's, he's always a little bit of a you sort of wince a little bit when one driver is you know the whole team is built around them to the total detriment of everything else and you, you did see that at the end of the British Grand Prix where Perez had battled back into the points and then was then pitted at the end to get the fastest uh, to change size to make sure he stopped Lewis Hamilton getting the fastest lap because that, that's a that's a point back or point you know not taken against Max Verstappen in that battle so yeah, that Red Bull were right to do that, but it does sort of sum up how 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 closely fought and how focused they are on winning this with Verstappen. But, you know, yeah, there have been other races where he was absent. You think of Spain. Lewis Hamilton won that race, as Cotter said, because Perez was absent from the fight because he was able to, um, and then Mercedes could put him on a two-stopper and recreate that sort of charge from Hungary 2019. But then in other races, I think of the French Grand Prix, yeah, he was running behind the two Mercedes drivers, but because, because uh, Red Bull knew that he could, he would let him by they instantly made the call to put him on a two-stopper and that's how Verstappen was able to 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 get by then and then in Baku despite the fact the car was losing hydraulic pressure and it was a bit touch and go that it would make the finish because he was second you know he was in pole position to capitalise yeah it did again require Hamilton to, to make the big mistake with the magic button but he still did the job Max is out of the race and he won it so I think he's done enough definitely to, to say Red Bull can be satisfied he just needs to be up there more consistently with it
0: when you were saying about how satisfied there would be, you know, my thoughts turned to the, you know, the little array of buttons you get uh, it, when when you leave passport control in the airport, or indeed, you know, if if you leave the toilet in a in a service station or in or in an airport, you have the little array of buttons. You know, how satisfied were you? There's the scowly face, there's the less scowly <laughs> face, there's the flat-lipped face, there's the slightly smileier uh, than flat-lipped face. I don't think. Um, Christian Horner and Helmut Marko will be decisively slapping the the smileier than smiley face or even maybe the slightly less smiley than smiley face. But the somewhere between the flat lipped face and the smiley face is the button they'll be pressing.
2: Hmm, very nice uh, descriptive response there, Codders. Thank you for that. Now, as we head into the Formula One summer break, there is one big job opening that we're hating, we're waiting to hear about. Who will race next to Lewis Hamilton in 2022? Will they keep Bottas or will George Russell get the job with Bottas collecting his P45 from Mercedes? Surely he is too good not to be on the grid next year, but there is plenty of competition and there's no shortage of talent coming up. And we want to talk about talent today with today's podcast sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is here to help small business owners find the team members to put their business in pole position. F1 teams might have a team of managers to look after these things, but for a small business, finding and interviewing the right candidates is time you don't have to spend on everything else. LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster and is totally free. LinkedIn Jobs can find your next superstar by creating a free post in minutes with 30 million people in the UK. Get the skills and experience you need with a great way to screen candidates so you don't waste any time and arrange the interviews from within LinkedIn Jobs too. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster and you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com autosport. Again, that's linkedin.com autosport to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Now, as I said at the start of that, Bottas versus Russell, that second seat at Mercedes. We obviously have to talk about it. They've said that the decision will be made over the summer break. They've said that the hungry performance won't influence the decision making. We've seen George Russell out in the Mercedes this week. Where are you guys sitting on this? Who do you want to see in the seat and who do you think should get the seat? Because sometimes they can be two different answers. It might not be with you guys, but let's see. Codders, you first. Who do you think should get it and who do you want to get it? Well,
0: George Russell has certainly uh, lodged his application for that position, hasn't he? Yes. And it's very much looking as if Valtteri Bottas is playing a game of spin the P45 and uh, about to lose it. Um, yeah, I. I my, my feeling is that Valtteri has kind of had his time. He's had his opportunities. Every year we've had this great reset. Valtteri going to come back and... Uh, yeah, we've, we've had Vota, Bottas 2.0, we've had Bottas 3.0, I think we're on Bottas 3.9.8 at the moment and the, the little spinny wheel suggests a further update is required. Um, yeah, maybe, as Alex says, um, there's the likelihood that he'll go to Alfa Romeo and, you know, if if They're happy to replace an underwhelming old Finn with an underwhelming young Finnish driver. They might take that as a like-for-like upgrade, who then slots into Mercedes. At at the moment, Georgia has been doing a good job, particularly in in qualifying. I know there's this incredibly lazy cliche of Mr. Saturday, blurg, which um, promulgated by Sky TV
1: and ruined by the sprint race. Format, yes, exactly. He did on a Friday know, Mr. night, Mister anyway, Friday
0: sorry. as well. Um, <laughs> and you know, possibly even Mister Thursday. We could populate a whole Craig David song with uh, with with mister's that uh, George Russell is. Um, you know, he does a good job. Sometimes, sometimes has an underwhelming opening lap. It has to be said, and he's still doing it. And to my mind, if if I were Toto Wolff, regardless of all the brilliant things that George has done, there would be the hovering uh, in the form of reservations in the back of my mind, the ridiculous shunt in Imola, which was brought on by impetuousness and a little bit of desperation, I would say, to say, hey, look, I can overtake this, Tugger. And, well, actually, no, you can't, as evinced by the trail of carbon fibre shreds and the red flag. And then also, you know, th- th- there have been moments where he has gone backwards mysteriously in the race from from a, a good position. And those those things... Will prey on Toto Wolf's mind because what you don't want is a driver who's reticent in wheel-to-wheel combat. Although, when he wasn't being reticent in wheel-to-wheel combat, he was shunting with Bottas. So, that is going to be a tricky call. I, I, I think Toto's going to be—he'll um, uh, he, have an even more complex spreadsheet than Alex.
1: Well, I put it—I put it to you, codders that I mean, what about the Fernando Alonso battle at the end of the, uh, again, so I can't, I can't remember right off the top of my head which of the Austrian races it was. Um, yeah, he was right up against the line of what was acceptable in terms of moving across in the braking zone. But what, what an amazing battle we had to nearly claim that 10th place finish. And the problem is I totally agree with you on the start. I think he's, he's always had that throughout his career for junior formula. When I covered him in GP3, it was always a problem. He was a little bit unlucky in Budapest and that he was more on the outside when Latifi was on the inside in terms of just the sort of the, the sea parting in front of the drivers that weren't being taken out by Bottas and Stroll. But again, that little bit of hesitation and Latifi cements the position ahead and that means that come the end of the race for a number of other factors, including Fernando Alonso slowing down in the pit lane, Latifi is able to finish ahead and get you know more points for Williams um, and, and, and a double points finish for Williams first time since 2018. But I think what was really interesting about Russell is that I think he knew he really messed up at him, and I think it was made very clear to him by probably by Toto Wolff that while the while the crash was one bad thing, what he did in the gravel trap to go up and remonstrate with Bottas and get. Given the finger back probably deservedly just wasn't on and that's a lot of people myself included really i really winced when i saw that i was like ah george you've gone too far there i actually thought initially he was going up to see if he was okay um but then no there was just that massive argument Um, and you do wonder whether things like when he came on the radio in hungary and said compromise my race if you have to to secure the result for nikki was that was that actually a coded message to toto wolf Stranger things have happened in in, in Formula One. Um, but I, I do think having, you know, my general, con- having spoken to George several times since similar, I, you feel like he knows he's done it. I think he, he's either signed already or he knows it's going to go his way. That's his whole demeanour. Speaking to a few people in the paddock, admittedly secondhand sources, there are rumours already flying that he has definitely signed. Could be totally wrong. I accept that that could be totally wrong. But my initial feeling is that he has he's going to get the get get the drive for twenty twenty two, and I think he should. I think that yeah. If you talk about bad starts. Valtteri Bottas consistently has bad starts. Even Lewis Hamilton has had bad starts this season. Look at uh, look at Imola, where Max Verstappen goes from third to, to leading out the first corner when Hamilton had been on pole. So yeah, I think it's almost in terms of starting, it's it's a bit of a like for like with Bottas and Russell. But I think that you you just got to take it and and Wolf as well. He's a he's an entrepreneur. You know, he thinks about that business. That that's what the Mercedes operation at Brackley is. It really is a, a business. You know, a sort of startup. That's the mentality where they're doing it. And he's got a future proof it because Lewis Hamilton probably isn't. Well, we know he's not going to be. He can't. Be, no one can be around forever. He won't be in Formula One forever. So he's got to think about the future. And Valtteri Bottas isn't the future of Mercedes. George Russell probably is.
2: Oh, I'm so eagerly awaiting the announcement where we get the confirmation. I would agree that George's demeanour and some of the interviews I've seen. I've seen him unable to keep a straight face when he's being asked about it. Um, yeah, it does seem like it's pretty much a done deal, but we don't know for certain. We wait to see it nonetheless. It might go to Alex album uh, based but- on his
0: magnificent historical reenactment work. You never know. Great in the sim. Hey, I, I can do your greatest hits virtually.
2: That would be quite a shock for this season. Yeah, that would be quite the surprise. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Williams points finish because, of course, that was a really lovely moment this season. That was one of the real feel good stories, as we said in the podcast recently. How did you, how did you, um, take that race? I mean, the Hungarian race, we can touch on it more than just the Williams finish because, of course, it was absolutely unbelievable and dramatic, but the Williams points finish was especially nice moment of the race because I don't think any of us were really expecting that going into the race were we
0: no and Latifi brilliantly seized the moment didn't he on on lap one yes um to to get gain track position I mean to my mind Alex obviously will have every single drivers every lap time in his spreadsheet so I I I was wondering and and I specifically wondered as I have made this observation during the race that kind of about fifth about 15 laps into his stint uh, on, on the hard tyres, the um, Latifi all of a sudden started going about three seconds a lap slower than Russell, um, inexplicably. And I thought, well, th- this isn't the way to finish um, in the top ten. And I kind of thought he was almost squandering what could have been a, a good position, having done brilliantly early on to lead a DRS train and kind of do a, a Thierry Bootson uh, at that same circuit in, in 1990.
1: Yeah, it was, you're, you're completely right there, Codders. That's why you know, they finished the, just behind each other on the roads, because Latifi in the second stint on the, on the harder tyres, he just doesn't have, can't keep that tyre management pace up that he needs to do. And we know that Russell has made some really, really good progress in that area, particularly this season. Look at the French Grand Prix. We felt like he unlocked something there in that really key skill. And it, if he goes to Mercedes, that's going to make a key difference because we know Lewis Hamilton is the best. We know Bottas isn't good at it in comparison and that's the, really the difference between them so um, yeah that's that. That's what happened to Latifi I, will, I also just say I think you know he ran third in the early stages and did run third brilliantly but if you watch what Fernando Alonso does in the pit lane that's something Michael Massey needs to answer about uh, when it comes to reconvening at Spa Alonso just ba- holds back so in the end um, science is a little bit um, it, that science illustrates why Mercedes didn't pit Lewis Hamilton because he's being he's he's had his tyres refitted and then uh, Sonoda and Latifi come past him but Ferrari can't release him so they have to hold him for an next few seconds he ends up back in the queue so that's why Latifi stays ahead because of Alonso sort of holding up sort of the rest of them and that's how Latifi gets ahead of science also George Russell is incredibly cheeky just goes to the front of the queue he actually asks his engineer can I do this and the before the, his engineer gets a chance to reply, Russell's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do it. He says that afterwards in interviews. Uh, but unfortunately, there is a rule. And I, look, I was looking this up earlier because a, re- a reader has emailed to ask, you know, oh, it's, it's allowed under the rules. It is in certain circumstances, but definitely not in the pit lane. In the pit entry, pit exit, you can kind of do what you like so as you don't cross the, the lines. But it's not in terms of that specific in what is regarded, okay, it's a racing lap, not a proper formation lap, but basically there's a rule that says you have to arrive in the order, you have to leave in the order with which you arrive. So yeah, not a lot George could do in terms of the way the Williams pit box fed the cars out but he should have he should have been lining up behind Fernando Alonso. Williams realized that in the in, in the instant he was doing it and then had to tell him uh, on that lap to, to hand the places back. So that was uh, an exciting start for Williams in terms of the Hungarian Grand Prix, but um yeah, what a, what a brilliant result for that team. Um and again, you know, maybe reading maybe I'm reading too much into this, but George Russell's tears, how do we know he hasn't achieved something in a contract, you know, by scoring points. He that you know the, you, you you never know. You never know what these reactions are really really about, but I mean, first of all, he was just utterly delighted for the, for the group of people that he's essentially led for the last two and a half years, getting a really tangible reward. And the fact that the Aston got disqualified, Vettel's Aston got disqualified, and as we're recording, they've just officially served their notice that how they're going to appeal that process. But... The points Williams end up with now, I don't think Alpha and definitely not Haas are going to recover. So the financial windfall for that squad is going to be massive.
0: And you've got to, if, if you're going to fake tears on live TV, you need to be very careful how you go about doing it. Because um, the the performance has to be absolutely authentic. Now, I, I point you in the direction of the former health secretary's terrible, terrible fake tears on, on the telly earlier this year when uh, breaking down with emotion at the effectiveness of the vaccine rollout. You know, this is the worst crocodile tears I've ever seen on TV. So, you know, that, that's one end of the scale. If. If George was putting it on, well, you know, the Oscar goes too, because that did look and feel very, very genuine to me.
1: Just uh, what I meant was, you know, maybe, maybe what my, you know, like I said, this is pure speculation, probably fatuous and ridiculous, but but maybe it was like, oh, you've got points. This guarantees you something in your contract, like a Mercedes promotion. Who knows? You know what I mean? It could just be he's ticked to performance element of his contract that that's all I was referring to and that relief was what he, what he could have been but I don't I definitely don't doubt that he was delighted to the point of um being for, for Williams
2: yeah a very emotional moment that we saw there which was absolutely wonderful of course emotions were running high for Esteban Ocon as well he got that incredible win and the three teams that we haven't really touched on are the Alpines Aston Martins and Ferrari which is strange because uh Ferrari especially have had some really strong performances this season so let's dig into those a little bit more we don't have that long left of the pod but I want to make sure we give coverage to all of the teams so what are your thoughts and feelings towards those three teams uh you can start with whichever team you like and you don't have to cover all of them of course but I just want to know what your thoughts and feelings are looking at their performance so far and looking ahead for what's to come in the second half of the season
0: well, I think Ferrari to tackle them first. Um, it's actually been it's been very heartening to see that they've they've been able to kind of. Um, I, I mean, they do say that you know you, you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter, uh, which I used as an intro to a, a feature about the uh, Yas Marina Circuit recently. And um, what a marvelous glitter rolling exercise Ferrari have performed with that car over the over the off season and. Obviously, there was a limit to what they could do in in, in terms of the hard points of the car and aerodynamically. They, they've spent, you know, whatever allowances they've had, they've spent wisely, uh, particularly at the back end to try and improve stability. Uh, and so, they, from from a car that was an absolute dog last year, they've they've been able to provide a workable platform. For, for their drivers and I, I credit also to those drivers Leclerc has consistently taken that car ahead of where it deserves to be uh, I, I, I don't know if Alex wants to disagree with me I'd, I'd say that where Carlos Sainz has been finishing has been more or less where, where you'd expect that car to be more, most of the time Carlos has had his few problems in qualifying but Leclerc really has been amazing um, Aston Martin uh I'd say more or less the the choice of Vettel's been vindicated. Uh, he's 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 had some good races. I think Azerbaijan, Hungary in particular, showed um, that the virtue of his experience. Um, Lance Stroll considerably less impressive, but not uniformly awful. He's he's had his moments. Um, once again, another driver who blows frustratingly um, hot and cold. So so yeah, th- those two. Uh, kind of in the ballpark Alpine what what a weird season they've had that car seems to be uh, randomly quick at times randomly quick uh, randomly not quick at other times sometimes even in the same weekend so must be very frustrating for both team and drivers um, both both drivers have done well um, Ocon seemed to go off the boil a little bit and struggle after he got his three year contract. But he's obviously done enough for the team to be convinced that he's the future and award him a three year contract. And I think he drove brilliantly in Hungary and it was very nice to see the spotlight shone on someone who's very often flies under the radar because they're kind of in the running for a top ten position but not really. Sometimes he's been stuck on silly strategies that have caused him to, to struggle in races, you know, lo- long first stints, etc. on on harder rubber. So he's not been able to shine. Alonso obviously hogs a little bit of the limelight because he's Alonso and he's brilliant. So yeah, it's, it, it's, it's good to see them kind of on an uptick. So all quite promising, really.
1: Just to talk about those three teams and sort of rank them in like sort of good to bad, just in terms of like a general way of explaining things, not that Anyway, I'll get to that. With Ferrari, much, much better. Car as Carlos says, by working on the rear end, the engine being improved, it they've made a massive step back to where they they really should be. Um, still not perfect. You know, they had that awful French Grand Prix with the with the tires that they you know they they hit the drivers awarded back to Maranello. The team, as Carlos Sainz Junior explained, you know, spent hours and hours pouring over everything how it could fix this and, and what resulted in was Leclerc nearly winning the British Grand Prix so brilliantly at Silverstone. But he was sort of I think I think you you could see early on in the season I think he's motivated by science arriving there that. That to get get fourth on the grid, Bahrain was absolutely incredible, and then a bit like Russell, you know, he's, he always will come back more naturally to where the car's gonna gonna be in the race because they're able to get by at places like like Bahrain in terms of his rivals. But I think in terms of Ferrari, definitely on the on the up. Um, in terms of the car, but what's what's fantastic for that team is how balanced that driver lineup is now, and I definitely think they are the strongest driver lineup on the grid in Leclerc and Sainz. And Sainz has been excellent since joining Ferrari. He's been really, really, really good. that podium in Monaco. Um, obviously potentially gets another one, assuming the Aston Martin appeal um doesn't, doesn't, doesn't give Vettel back his podium in Hungary. Um, so yeah, brilliant, brilliant to see that. And he hasn't suffered so much from the you know the changing teams. He's been able to to get in. He says, you know, I knew I was fast since I drove the Ferrari, it was just getting it consistently. That's what that he was sort of struggling with. So yeah, very good for Ferrari. Um Alpine, as Codder says, that it has been a weird up and down season. There's definitely question marks about all what's sort of going on with the car, but equally you know this is the last year of this regulation this car doesn't matter so much it's next year's car that's really really got to be brilliant if Alonso is going to get that third world title but again looking at the drivers Fernando Alonso a little bit low-key at the start of the year oh was the comeback a disaster and he's like no it's far too early to say that and of course it was um so you know um, not the Autosport ever said that I don't believe anyway um uh, with 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 Alonso, he's he's properly back to it now, and he's properly back to just lobbing out amazing sound bites over his team radio and in the media. So uh, he's, uh, he's He's rage against Daniel Ricciardo um, going off at the start of the Austrian Grand Prix at Turn One was a, was a joy to listen to. Although he randomly said that uh, uh, um, Ricciardo gained four places and therefore needed to give up six positions, which didn't make sense. But I, under- I understood the the rage, and maybe he was just you know um, you know um, he was invoking satire of the FIA's uh, um, um, penalties and stewarding decisions, which I'm sure he was He's a very clever guy um, Espan as Cotter says yeah again an up and down season almost reflects the car but was brilliant and was so calm and collected all the way through the Hungarian race and what an amazing talent he is and definitely rewarded with a victory but yeah Alpine a bit more of a question mark than the Ferrari and then with Aston definitely in terms of the car massive step back from last year but we know why it's because the floor regulations that's that's what happened you know the 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 the, the, the suggestions that the the rules went through to, to 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 harm mercedes had a knock-on impact at aston because it it copied their design for 2020 that's that you know that, that that definitely happened but in terms of the impact on the low-rate cars it's clear to see so but again equally it's the same with alpine the cars, you know, is not going to be in use for next year. It's going to be a whole new design So the real test of Aston and where it's going to go and its championship ambitions comes next year. Um, you, you've covered Stroll very accurately, Codders, in terms of yeah, underwhelming but not always terrible. Vettel was terrible at the start of the season. Driving into the back of, I think it was Ocon at Bahrain, it was really weird. It was like oh, here's a continuation of his Ferrari struggles but he's completely reversed that. He's had a wonderful renaissance, which is a, an excellent word to use in, in this context and I think, um, yeah, he can be very proud of um, of a few of his drives but again just that just that slight mistake in terms of um being too hot into his pit box hungry costs him although at least it was a better look for formula one that he didn't win the race and then get disqualified for a fuel sample not being able to be found but yeah so yeah Aston in terms of overall car you know the problem but we know why look forward to next year and seeing what they can do with those uh, those fresh regulations
2: yeah i'm really excited to see how things pan out next year when everything is overhauled but one thing that we haven't touched on, guys, and I'm conscious of the time, is the sprint race. Of course, Silverstone, we saw our first F1 sprint. And what did you make of it? I didn't speak with either of you that weekend, I don't think. Uh, Because, of course, you were actually live at Autosport. And I, as you said, Codders, as I was not allowed to come and see you. Um, what did you make of the sprint race? And what do you think it'll be like in the next sprints that we have lined up for later in the year? Codders, your take first. Were you a fan or not?
0: I thought it was interesting. As I've written in my back page column in this month's GP Racing, which will be reproduced uh, on Autosport Plus in the next few days, perhaps. I forget the schedule, but it will be it will be up there. I kind of lampooned the fact that it was hailed as an immediate success by the people whose idea it was. To my mind, there was both good and bad. It gave the um, spectators trackside an additional race to watch on Saturday, which was good. But it also made FP2 a bit of a nonsense, which was bad for those same spectators because they were, the cars were just tugging around at uh, on long run pace, three or four seconds off the absolute pace. So not a marvellous spectacle just ahead of lunchtime. And I could see people drifting away um, before the, the W Series race um, kicked off. And, and W Series actually brought a lot of them back, um, which, which was quite heartening to see. And also did it have that much of an effect on the grid? Once again, yes and no. You had Lewis Hamilton losing pole position, which I know some people get head up about. Pole position should be the uh, the reward for being the fastest driver, especially when he didn't have the fastest car. Um, you could easily say that it ended with some people out of uh, made made the step forward um the the people who started on soft tires were able to achieve track position with a mixture of the soft tire grip but also guile it was the likes of Alonso Raikkonen who really played that opening lap of the sprint race brilliantly to move forwards apart from that all it did was reshuffle the grid in race pace order so not a good thing so I, I would say that more data is required before we can declare it a success.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, Cotters. I, w- I will say that I think um, the Sil- the Grand Prix at Silverstone, the, the clash between Hamilton and Verstappen doesn't happen if there, if there's no sprint race because it was Hamilton getting a bad start that meant Verstappen ends up ahead and that's, you know, it contributed. It did, we, we, we said on the live podcast we have to give a full assessment after the Grand Prix to see whether it's been a success and yeah, I think you're right. You can't say it's a, a, a total success but it did it did provide something interesting because of the way that the circumstances worked out but then, where does it end? Do you know, what I mean, it's the, it's the it, that, that things only happen because it was a race, and you know that could have, interesting things going to happen in the Grand Prix anyway. Um, I, I'm still, I, I, you know, I'm one of those people, as I've said on, on on the podcast before, that it's ridiculous that Lewis Hamilton doesn't have pole position in the record books for Silverstone, and he he, he almost he almost sort of alluded to that himself, you know, in in, in, in at, at the Hungaroring ring when he's interviewed, he was like. Did I not get pole for the last race? No, technically you didn't because of some ridiculous FIA decision that means the sprint race winner gets polled. Um, so yeah, that, that, that still irks me. Um, I also don't think championship points this season should be applied for it. So, you know, they're experimental races at only three events. Um, but yeah, it, it worked it's too easy it's too early to say that it would it's the, the the thing that f1 definitely needs at all times to be it's you know the savior of all things um but yeah be monza will be an excellent test because you could get lots and lots of action in that sprint race lots of random things happening crashes and that might make you know a massive impact on the grand prix so yeah it 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 would be interesting really really interesting to see how it goes next time
2: yeah jury's out on sprint races i think i'm not sure where i stand on it either i mean as you said it, it added the entertainment but i'm not sure it added that much to the whole weekend uh, when we reflect on it now now we're coming to the end of the podcast and i want to know what has been your favorite race of the season so far and why that is how we're going to wind things up you're both suddenly looking very deep in thought (laughs) i don't know who wants to go first i don't know whose brain just worked quicker there but
1: i gotta say the british grand prix um, it was amazing being there, um, seeing all the fans back. It was it it was it was it was tremendously atmospheric um and good for that Formula One proof that it could do that with its bubble system, you know, being maintained despite everybody being around. So hopefully that will be good for, for further races in the future. But I just think the drama, the absolute, the theatre in the cliche, as it would go, of the two titles while it was colliding was, in, was absolutely incredible. Um, and and it and it, it turned out a good race. I think Charles Leclerc really deserved to win that race. But equally, you got to see Lewis Hamilton being the best Lewis Hamilton he can be in terms of that that charging drive. So yeah, for me, got to be the British Grand Prix.
0: Am I just falling victim to peak end effect? Because actually quite a lot of the British Grand Prix was a, a tyre management slog but obviously, we had the drama at the beginning. We had the marvelous atmosphere because the crowd was there, uh, and also the drama peaked at the end because of of Lewis Hamilton chasing down and finally passing Charles Leclerc just with, you know with a couple of laps to go. So that that. As far as Formula One is concerned, that is the perfect race because it delivers peak end effect. People go away from it thinking that was an absolute thriller, whereas actually um, it probably wasn't the most thrilling Grand Prix taken as a whole of the race. But in terms of how you look at it in posterity, it certainly was very exciting just because of that slam bang conclusion. And and where where do you rate that against, for instance, a race where all the action was Packed at the beginning, and then it just kind of settled down into a bit of a drone for Formula One at the moment, you know it does have these moments where the tire management becomes a thing, and the race is effectively neutralized, or you get DRS trains, so maybe now after I've had my little hesitancy and Alex has beaten me into turn one, I will say British Grand Prix. <laughs> although Hungary was fantastic <laughs> okay. as well I mean, it, it was one of those races where you didn't actually see that much of the leader which was disappointing because Esteban Ocon did such a fantastic job and, and it was it was so very close plus of course he had Lewis hunting them down towards the end but once again a race that came about through a particular set of circumstances two drivers losing their heads at the beginning which really we don't want to see repeated because um, an f- opening lap shunt can ruin a race as much as make
2: it I think that we've been so fortunate in being treated to so many exciting races in the first 11 so far. And hopefully the second half of the season will continue to deliver. Thank you both for joining me. It's been a pleasure as always. Alex and Codders, lovely chatting with you for our mid-season review. Enjoy the time off if you have any. And it won't be too long until we're back. Of course, we are on the summer break, but Formula One is only gone for a few weeks and we'll be back here on the Autosport Formula One podcast to bring you our race weekend coverage as soon as the cars are back on track. But in the meantime, take care and look after yourselves.
0: The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty